Hello friends, welcome. Thanks for joining us here on Kabbalah Explained Simply. I'm Gianni, happy to be with you once again. And today we're going to talk about a fascinating topic, as always. It's the topic of magic. Now, magic has always captivated human beings. That's probably why Harry Potter is one of the best-selling novels of time, all time. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Why does it fascinate us so much? Why are audiences so captivated by this? And this isn't something new, of course. Um, J.K. Rowling, she took things that were going on throughout history and based this whole series on them. And she based, she, so she basically took a theme that is wildly popular in all centuries throughout human existence, and she, she renewed it. She capitalized on it. Now, what's, why is it so alluring for us? What is so intriguing about this? There's something deep within our nature that is attracted to this. And, of course, we all wish for miracles deep down. In fact, we always have kind of this prayer in our heart for the things that we want to come true. And what does it mean that there would be a miracle or there would be something magical that could happen? It means that we would be able to, instead of being locked into the regular laws of nature, by which we can pretty much predict what's going to happen in our lives based on our talents, based on our family, our abilities. If there's not going to be any miracles, surprises, then we're probably kind of locked into a very narrow existence. And it's all based on our efforts, what we will receive. And except for those efforts, there's nothing else that is going to surprisingly good come our way, most likely. And so this is why people are always interested in the concept of magic. Now, I don't want to, we'll of course talk from the level of Kabbalah, what Kabbalah says about it. And you may have heard different things. Some of you have probably heard that Kabbalah has nothing to do with magic. Some of you have probably heard that Kabbalah has everything to do with magic. And so I don't want to go with either blanket statement. We want to look at maybe what could be true about magic. For example, are there any objects in our world, such as amulets or talismans? Is there any object that has power, that can improve our life, that can give us safety? Are there any special materials or places that hold power? And if so, maybe we should have those things in our life. We'll check. Um, are there any kinds of thoughts, attitudes directing our inter internal forces that can change our reality? whether you call it meditation or prayer, or are there any incantations that if I would say these certain things, 
or think these certain things repeatedly or once or twice, would they change reality at all? Or are we just in the basic reality that we're in and what will be will be and there's nothing I can really do about it except what I do with my hands and legs in an obvious way in this world? Now, to ask these questions about magic, it's um, really to, I will say one thing is impossible, and that is an, a, a miracle that just happens magically. There's no, there's no miracles that just happen because that means that it comes from above. We don't really have any control over it, and it's not working by any sort of laws. Even in Harry Potter, there are laws right they go to hogwarts to be honest i never saw this movie i boned up a little bit just to be able to talk about this um but they go to hogwarts and there are spells there are certain orders of actions there are laws there are inner forces that some people possess special inner qualities and i'm going to suggest that everyone has such qualities but in the movie, there are such qualities that you can learn how to have access to. You can learn how to control these qualities. And thus, you can perform spells. But there's laws associated with how they work. You have to learn those laws. You don't know them naturally. But when you learn how to use them, then you can direct these forces that exist in nature. So they're not miracles, right? That's my point. They're not miracles. They're inner forces that the wizards there have. And there are inner forces as well that we don't know about and that we can perhaps gain access to and learn how to use. But it won't be magic in the child, childish way. Um, it'll be learning how to navigate deeper levels of nature than we currently have access to. So if we kind of look throughout history, we can see throughout history that uh, people were always interested in magic because we're in a big world. The forces operating on us are kind of unknown. And so if the main force operating on us, for example, was the Nile and we really need this for our life. So this big force which we encountered, we maybe would ascribe a god to it and try to appease that god. Or if things happened without us anything in nature or in human life or in the animal world, if things happened without us knowing why they happened, we would try to get control of those things. And before we became more scientific about our reality, there were a lot of things that we didn't know why they were happening. So that's why they ascribed different gods to different forces. So the god of fire, the god of tornadoes, the god of lightning. And they would try to somehow relate to these gods in a way that would be pleasant to those gods so that those gods would treat them better, right? And so this is why... In history, we see that 
we'll just look a little bit at history. You know, in ancient Mesopotamia, they used this bronze protection plaque to ward off spirits that they might have angered. Um, this is from the 8th century BC. And I, I do want to make sure that nobody thinks we're making fun of these things because um, maybe there is some truth to them. I don't know. Let's, we'll see. Um, there were incantation bowls, which were buried face down in the ground to capture demons. And this was in the 6th century, or this was from, this artifact was from the 6th century. In ancient Egypt, they had this, this is the Eye of Horus. Words were used along with such amulet, amulets to perform magic. This is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. That writing there is an actual spell. And this is from 2600 BC. This just for fun, this is a unicorn. Um, it's often associated with magic, with fantasy. We find it really, uh, you know, seductive that there could be these creatures. And I think J.K. Rowling also has the fantastic beasts and where to find them. It's interesting to think that there are these magical creatures that could maybe help us in some way. This is the book, Raziel Hamalak. So this is actually written by a Kabbalist, but it's not really used in that way. People use this book. It translates as The Secret Angel. They use this book in um, pseudo-magical ways, not knowing the code that it really that really underlies it and what to actually do with these symbols. They're very strange. Um, but still, so that was the way in that that was used. And in during the Enlightenment, this is from 1658. This is a book, you know, it was serious to publish a book in 1658, a book cost roughly as much as a car um, just because of all of the printing prior to the printing well they probably printed it already at this time but still books were still very expensive and uh, this is a magic book this is a book that and what magic really was then if previously in ancient Egypt ancient Mesopotamia we knew nothing about the reality that we were in and what these weather forces uh, were doing. By this time, we started researching reality a little bit more deeply, and we discovered something called chemistry. And chemistry, of course, led, I think it was just called alchemy by many people at that time. And it was this basically magic that, and this is where it all comes from, um, you could take different materials and they would, in their connection, create things that didn't exist before. So they thought maybe they would be able to create whatever they want. Gold, they wanted to create gold if possible. Um, so it really seemed like they had discovered magic. Um, 
because new things were being created that didn't exist before in the laboratory. And so, of course, this got very fanciful, and there were a lot of these interesting... These are the books on which Harry Potter was largely based. The Ripley Scroll was one of them. Splendor Solis. It's also... Look, you have um, magical things going on there. Heavens opening up. This is the book from that time, from that time period, roughly 1498, on which you have this famous witch. It looks like witches doing something there. And uh, this is where all of the witch stories started coming from. And this is Nostradamus just using him as an example of somebody who they thought could see the future. And we all know that most people that claim to see the future are swindlers, charlatans, who really can't. Um, but there were in history a few people who could. They actually could. And uh, I'm not saying it's Nostradamus. But there were a few people. I'm, I don't think any... Maybe more exists, but I don't think so. But um, there are a few people that can see into the future. And there is some truth to this, actually. But it's not magic. It's something that we actually could all develop the ability to do. If we want to. Um, Kabbalists don't focus on this, um, even though a Kabbalist does have the ability to perceive the whole reality because I attain the thought of the creator, which shows the Kabbalist the whole of reality from start to finish, where we came from before the Big Bang, where we're going to after the Big Bang. And of course, this gives me access to all the laws of nature and an understanding of them in a way that there's nothing outside of this understanding that could be, for example, there's an upper world after our world. And if I attain that upper, upper world, then everything below it, which is all of our universe, all the laws, everything that exists inside of it, including all the galaxies, all the planets, everything that's on those planets... All of this is revealed to the Kabbalist on the very first spiritual degree. And he understands all of the laws of science. And if there are any deeper laws, for example, if there's any magic that could be discover discovered. So there isn't, there aren't like magical secrets that, uh, can be outside of the laws of nature. But there are some deeper attainments of nature that can, can be revealed. Now, in the case of Nostradamus, I wouldn't even say that it's spiritual. There's nothing spiritual about seeing the future, though it is possible. And you could call it spiritual, but Kabbalists don't because they mean something very sp specific about that. Right. Um, you know, I heard somebody say that going on vacation, that's my spirituality. Right. 
that's my spirituality. So spirituality can be used in very loose ways. And I get what that person meant when they meant that going to the Bahamas, that's their spirituality. Um, but Kabbalah means something very specific. So when we talk about spirituality in Kabbalah, we need to kind of clarify what that means. And this is to say that when we talk about Nostradamus or anybody like that, being able to see the future, being able to see the past, this is not spiritual for Kabbalists. It's very similar to when there's a tsunami. You know, unfortunately, when there's a tsunami, the intelligent humans usually run towards the tsunami to get a look. And you can look this news up on your own. Um, humans run towards it. They actually want to go take a look. A few of them always die there, often die. And in the cities, they're usually still there thinking things would be okay as the tsunami crashes down and kills them. But who does not do this are every single kind of animal. The animals all head for the hills a couple days in advance, literally. They're running towards the hills. And this is because of their deeper feeling of nature. It's not that they... Are predicting something or that they're spiritual they just feel what's going to happen they feel the future already because they're closer to nature we're a bit far from nature we're far from nature because we've built around us all of these man-made edifices we live in cities we're in our egos consumed with all sorts of nonsense that really isn't related to the goal of life. And so we don't feel the future. We don't feel nature, what it's about to do. But we could totally develop this. And there are people who just have it naturally because people actually don't know how to develop it. But some people have it naturally that they can see what's going to happen. And they could look at my whole life like in a book and they could tell me what I... There, there are different levels of ability, right? But let's say in theory with this ability, they could look at what's going to happen to me on Thursday. They could see that I'm getting a parking ticket. And uh, I could do everything to avoid getting that parking ticket, but I would still somehow end up getting it because it's already laid out. Everything is laid out in the plan. So there are people who, yes, predicted accurately things that could happen. Most of the people who purport to do so are charlatans um, just trying to make money. But it does exist. It is a possibility. And it is something that you could do. But it's a question if you would actually want to. Um, so let's see what else we got. So just to further emphasize you know, the interest in magic and how nothing really changes over the centuries. And that's why we're still obsessed with Harry Potter. It's still famous today because it's something deep down in human nature to want to be able to create miracles, to want to circumvent the laws of nature. Uh, here's an example, a famous example of Rasputin, and how he captured the hearts and minds of the king and queen 
of Russia, pre-Russian Revolution, and everyone was, you know, up in arms about this because their king and queen were basically under the control of this magician. And there's a lot of rumors about him, you know, whether it's real, whether it's not, but apparently had special powers, the ability to see the future, to warn the king and queen. And kings and queens throughout history, leaders, um, there are many historical examples of them seeking the advice of very special people who may or may not have had magical powers. Here's another legend. This is sort of a Kabbalistic legend. It's the legend of the golem. And there was a Kabbalist of Prague who supposedly created this golem, which is matter. It's out of dirt or matter or clay. They make this golem come together, and it's this... Um, being that maybe gets dangerous or maybe protects, but it's this man-like being that uh, that exists. And I can just tell you right away that this Kabbalist truly did exist, but he didn't create a golem. That's a legend, and people like legends because it makes them feel that something magical could really happen and it's very exciting for us to think that there that something magic that there could be something other than just our basic boring life in which our future even without those magical powers our future is kind of pretty much set right like if my parents both went to harvard and they have a big trust fund for me you know we know how that'll turn out and if my parents both work at mcdonald's you know or don't have jobs we kind of know roughly how my life's going to turn out but if there are some magical forces that anybody could get access to, um, then we could all be, you know, really whatever we want to be. So let's see who we have with us here. I see a lot of friends in the chat. Forever seeking. Also, if you have any questions, please go ahead and write in. Um, Arzal from the UK, hello. Mihila from Romania, Debbie, welcome. Julianne, uh, Forever Seeking Wisdom from Seattle, Washington, from Bulgaria, Chad Patka, um, friends from Florida, taught by Emeralds, um, Papu, hello, Sylvie, Agus, hi, Ruth. Adam from Morocco, from Nova Scotia, Canada, we have Andre, Larry from South Africa, friends from all over the world, that's awesome. Um, friends from Ireland, hi Robert. Awesome, thank you all for writing in. Thank you all for writing in. I'm just gonna quickly scan here to see if there's any uh, any questions. I hope they mentioned the creation myths, myths. There's so much more than simple explanations for things. Um, 
any Debbie said any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic from Arthur C. Clarke uh-huh that's very true very true and so of course we're you know techn there's technology that are the external means of controlling things like machines telescopes um, particle accelerators um, but we as humanity have spent almost all of our time trying to develop things outside of us and this belies the most powerful force that exists which is inside of us actually inside of us is the force that is controlling all of reality projecting the reality before us and then within that projection we're playing we're taking the matter which is also a projection of what's going on inside of me and i'm trying to play with that matter right and i'm using this term playing but we're very seriously playing in the laboratory as scientists getting phds doing experiments and seeing what happens with this matter but we're kind of working with a hologram instead of working with the source of it we're working with the projector so we have to learn how to do that uh, let's see any other questions well it's a lot for me to scan but go ahead and write them in if you have any questions okay so we'll we'll get into all of this so there of course there are many if we go specific right we could talk about many different things so maybe we'll just start chatting and then if you have any questions we'll write them in so let's address a few things because we can under one blanket we can address a lot of stuff so uh first of all are any of these things actually real? And if we talk about any of them, we'll already be talking about a ton of them. So if we, you know, if we look at these objects and you can throw in there red strings, whatever you want, it doesn't matter which one because the question is, did whatever is controlling this reality Kabbalists call it creator because they say when you penetrate through this reality what do you discover you discover a force that is upper to us it's higher and it's higher than all of the other forces it's higher than my mom my dad my boss his boss the president the tornadoes the planets the sun it's the big bang it's higher than all of these it's operating all of them and as such Kabbalists call this creator because it's a singular force into which all other forces subsume so they call it creator because it creates our reality the question is within that reality did this creator decide and it would have been his decision 
decide to put any objects that are special, that hold special powers, that give me a leg up, help me in some way, that it would be good to have them in my house or wear them on me. Can you imbue a certain bit of matter, such as a red string, by wrapping it around the grave of Rachel, you know, the prophetess, or um, by any other spell? Is there some object that, because of whatever happened to it, it has special power? And the answer to that, except for the fact, okay, I need to be careful with my words so that I uh, actually say the truth. So there are objects, just like there used to be special herbs, and there used to be people that knew about these special herbs that could do specific cures in us. Today, these herbs don't really work. That's why you can take all the supplements you want. And for the most part, they don't work, not in the special, really powerful way that they used to. And the reason why, and this is going to connect to magic in a minute, the reason why is because we're very far from nature already. In fact, they a study sh showed that we consume about a, a credit card worth of plastic every week. Just in our diet, even with our organic everything. And so we're very plastic, we're very far from nature, but there used to be an herb for this, an herb for that, if you knew how those herbs and what they did. And all this knowledge was lost right? But there are abundant, the world is an abundant pharmacy. So there is power in certain plants. There are, there is also, and this is even more arcane, less known, there is power in certain objects as well. For example, there, if I have some gold, well, okay, I don't want to give recipes here. But um, because anyway, you will, through the wisdom of Kabbalah, if you study, you will attain it all. You'll understand every herb, every metal, every, there are effects that it can have. But the question is, are there, those are from nature. Those are things, let's say gold or sil silver. And there's a reason we've always sought gold Throughout the ages, it always holds its value um, because there are roots to them. There are spiritual roots, and we can interact with them. But that's different from there being like a quick fix, like something that protects me from human forces that might befall me, like negative events, like getting fired from my job. Are there such, such objects like this bronze protection plaque that can affect my reality? So the answer is yes. There are objects, but it doesn't matter which one. It could be a bronze protect, protection plaque like this. It could be an incantation bowl. 
like this. It could be the Eye of Horus. And why doesn't it matter which one? Because the only factor that matters, the only factor that matters is that I believe in it. If I can convince myself that uh, a red string will protect me, then I'm in a way turning my internal psychological forces in such a way that I have confidence and depending how much I believe in it, if, you know, say some great Kabbalist came, a Kabbalist wouldn't do this, but let's say some great special person came and gave me this and I absolutely believe in it, it's going to protect me because it's going to give me such confidence and I'm going to affect those around me as well with this con confidence because we're all in a system of forces. We don't know why when we're around a certain person with such confidence that it as if swallows us up. And this is because of what Kabbalists call, which is the big fish swallows the little fish. The bigger desire, if I have a bigger desire than those around me, it swallows them up, it nullifies them, it holds them, it cancels them. And I am literally more powerful. I literally, uh, I, I just have more force because desire is everything. And so it's a little misleading to say that something holds power in and of itself. But if I believe that it does, then it does because I'm it gives me this feeling of confidence. So that's why this could work um, and all kinds of other things could also work because they believed in them. And it's the same thing if you're using some kind of spell that you you convince yourself that it's actually working or if you scan some letters of the Zohar like has been prescribed. Um, but we don't want this, right? This is not satisfying. We're not satisfied with it just being psychology because no, we're looking for something magical. That's It's not magical if it just makes me excited and makes me confident and then um, it works for me. So you see how tricky it is? Do red strings work? Yes, if people believe in them, but do they have power on their own? Does it matter that they were wrapped around the grave of Rachel? It doesn't matter, except that if you believe it, it imbues it with even more confidence, and then you feel confident. And so I can tell you that by themselves, there is no object that is more special than another. If I tell you this little screwdriver, I could sell this little screwdriver and tell you about its forces and ancient history, and you could go into a job interview with it, and you would get the job, probably, if you believed, if you believed me. So there is no object in our reality that is special. The upper force didn't allow it. He didn't make anything like that that's special. Everything related to physical objects is absolutely psychological, no matter how holy it is. And you can give me any example you want. The holiest thing, 
seemingly prescribed by Kabbalists, uh, uh, you know, prescribed by whoever you want. No object has any power by itself. What those do is they activate what I already told you, which is that inside us is the most powerful force in the universe. Inside us is the most powerful force in the universe. We don't have access to this force. We don't know how to use it. We know how to use our hands and legs. We know how to operate our thoughts. You know, this cold mind that um, has not much feeling behind it, that I'm just calculating like seven minus five. No emotion behind it, right? We know how to operate these thoughts. We know how to say prayers, for example, and we can read them out of a book without any emotion. Um, but in this way, words too, and even thoughts are also empty. So that's talking about our basic forces, our basic forces that we have before us. So there's no objects that have special power, special power. There's no um, sayings, incantations that have special power. But now we can look at the, the, let's look at the Kabbalistic text real quick here. So taking this book, Razi Malak, um, this is a, <clears throat> this is actually, you could say, similar to the spell in that there is an order of actions there, but I don't know what they are. They're like actions that I can do, you know, like let's say it says it's talking about the moon and it says now jump up and stay in the air for five seconds. Well, I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the ability to do that in my qualities. So there is an order of actions here. And actually all the books of Kabbalah are an order of actions of things that I need to do. Um, but they're not simple. They're not tools that I have in my kitchen. Um, so let me see if there's any question real quick here. Okay, just what I'm seeing first. Okay, Hayes. Uh, does Assyria... I think you mean Asiya, the world of Asiya, represent our physical existence before the womb, and does Babylon represent our physical existence inside the womb? Okay, interesting. I'm not sure how to answer that. Um, we need to find ourselves in this life already, aside from all of this talk about magic, I'm going to read to you uh, something from a Kabbalist here about witchcraft. So this is from Balasulam. And he says, when fear comes upon a person, 
And it's important that he says when fear comes upon a person because we wouldn't even be talking about all this magic stuff if we didn't fear anything. If our whole life was just living at the Bahamas with a, you know, tequila in our hand and just everything perfect, you know, we wouldn't care about magic. But because of fear, they invented the different gods related to the Nile and the different pottery to stop the demons and defenses against the evil eye. Um, which exists, by the way, there is such a thing called an evil eye, but again, no object will protect you from it. There is something that will protect you from the evil eye. The evil eye is that these inner forces between us have the ability of influencing. We have the ability to influence each other positively or negatively. And often without even knowing it, our ego is sending bad forces to one another and this is the source of all the suffering in the world. But Bala Sulam, the Kabbalist here, says, When fear comes upon a person, one should know that there is none else besides him. Meaning there is actually this upper force that is operating everything, and there is nothing that can do anything against him. And if he did not build into creation special loopholes, in nature, special magic by which I can quickly pray and make the policeman go away or the bad man go away. If he didn't build in those laws into reality so that there would be a loophole, then there is no loophole. So I'm not going to be able to get around any of that. There is a way to get around it. But first, let's talk about I'm not going to be able to get around it by any quick magic trick or quick prayer dear god just you know make it make it go away it's not gonna work unless the upper force built in such a loophole for for us did he build in a loophole that's the question he did but we got to learn how to use it and it's not a quick it's not a quick talisman or red string one should know that there is none else besides him. So both with respect to these magical things I'd like to use to protect me and with respect to the things that are threatening me, the boss, the judge, the police officer, the bad person, the murderer, whatever it is. And he says, and even witchcraft. And if one sees that fear overcomes him, he should say that there is no such thing as chance, but the creator has given him an opportunity from above, and he must contemplate and study the end to which one has been sent this fear. It appears that it is so that he will prevail and say there is none else besides him. So... Okay, but if after all that the fear has not departed from him, one should take it as an example and say that one's servitude of the creator should be in the same measure of the fear, meaning that the fear of the creator, which is a merit, should be in the same manner of fear that he now has, meaning instead of being so afraid of all of the things in life that might happen to me, I'm doing all that I can, okay? Um, there's someone I heard, I think it was, I don't know who, but to, to worry is to suffer twice, right? So, uh, it, why worry? I need to feel myself more and more in this perception that there's 
none else besides him. There's a singular force that's operating all of reality and nothing can hurt me as long as I am within this force, within this feeling. Look, it starts out as kind of, it sounds like it might be a religious thing. It starts out that way because I have to accept this concept over all of the things that are happening in my world. Everyone who's who I'm encountering, all the politicians, the news, everything that's happening has to subsume into this singular force of there is none else besides him. It's all coming from a singular force. I have to start trying to feel that because that's the true reality that I'll discover and feel in all of my senses just the way I'm feeling this reality here. I'm going to feel the upper reality that it's all singular, that there isn't this cup and something else. There's one force that's operating all of it. Okay, that's that's the first thing. That is step one. And that's what our courses basically teach us to do. Um, the courses in the Wisdom of Kabbalah. And I guess now's a good time to tell you to... Um, if you aren't signed up to maybe consider signing up um, if you go to kabuconnect.com you see this Kabbalah Revealed free short course this gives you the basics in the wisdom of Kabbalah and all of them are basically leading to this one thing though which is none else besides him the sensation that there's a singular force who is who is includes all of the reality and is a loving force and if I find myself within this force nothing can harm me the evil eye can't harm me people try to wear a red string against it that won't work against some talisman some prayers nothing will work except if I'm caught in a feeling where there are is more than one force of reality if I'm living in this forest, actually nothing bad can happen to me. Um, and I have to start feeling my way into this force. Like I said, it starts out as an axiom that I get from, from the Kabbalists. And later on, I start feeling it more and more. I start feeling developing vessels. Just like I have a hand here that can lift up this glass. I start developing further vessels besides my hand, besides my eyes, besides my ears, in which I feel this singular force. I actually start feeling the reality outside of me as belonging to, to me. I start feeling each and every person outside of me as belonging to me, being part of me. It sounds strange, because towards those very same people who had the evil eye towards me, who were casting spells on me, whatever. Um, and it's not, it's not really spells. What is witchcraft, actually? It's just using my thoughts, using my forces. And you could get a, a voodoo doll of somebody. You could get a Gianni voodoo doll. And you could use this doll to start thinking bad thoughts about me. And you would actually be using this object, even though this object does nothing. 
um, but you would be using this object as a stand-in for Gianni and to send bad thoughts in my direction. Of course, this is a horrible idea, but it doesn't protect me from someone doing it to me. It's a bad idea because when you think even a bad thought about somebody else, you could call it witchcraft if you want, just for the sake of this uh, show today, but it's not witchcraft. It's that you're directing your thoughts towards others in an egoistic way, and it actually harms them. And all of the pain in our world is that these thoughts are ricocheting around. Um, I think that it's not a problem that I cut someone off on the freeway and then flip them off as I'm going, uh, they can't do anything to me, right? Eh, they can. Because I have egoistic intentions towards them. I have now opened myself up to the suffering that is going to come to me. And I don't feel how all of this suffering is actually reaching me, but it is. All of my suffering in life, maybe I feel it later, that I feel bad in some way, or something happens to me, but it's all because I'm in this egoistic relationship towards those around me, in my thoughts, in my desires. And if it would be revealed to me, this system, like it's revealed to Kabbalists, I would see that I just need to not think any thoughts. I would be scared to think anything. Why? Because I'd realize that all of my thoughts are egoistic and all of them are harming me. They're harming me in my life in unseen ways. And what I'm doing in the world with my hands and legs is very minor, very minor impact. It's almost no impact relatively to what I'm doing with my thoughts and my desires. And so I need to learn the formulas, the spells. It's not a spell. Kabbalists don't use this term. But I need to use the formulas, the thought formulas, the desire formulas, which are in the writings of Kabbalists. So that's what we study. Now, I should also add that... Um, in our courses, what we do focus on and what I focus on and everybody who studies Kabbalah focus on is we focus on the real practical application of the principles of Kabbalah. It's not reading. It's not um, reading the Zohar or any very special book. That's part of it, too. But more important is the actual practice. So how do we practice it? I mean, for this, I want to actually invite you to um, to an upcoming retreat that we have. And the website is retreat.cobuconnect.com. So this retreat is in Iroquois Springs. And it's in upstate New York. And if you go to the website, you'll see you'll see everything that you need to see there. But this is a real hands-on um, kind of event, and there are early bird pricings for it right now. Um, there's a virtual side where you'll be just in the comfort of your own home, and it's $99 for now. Later on, it will be $149. Early bird special for in-person is $399. And uh, that's, you know, it's an outdoorsy kind of beautiful experience, campsite, you know, kind of going to summer camp type of vibe. 
Now, I hosted the virtual side of this last time we did it, and the thing I heard from a lot of students that did the virtual, although please do go virtual if you can only do virtual, but I'm just saying a lot of students said next time I am absolutely going physically. I saw that I just have to be there physically. So if you can, it's a very special immersive experience. Now, what do we actually do there? Back to our program. Um, So what we actually do there is we just said that in order to activate this practical magic, meaning to access these inner forces, these forces that are above nature, you can say that they're supernatural. And in order to access them, I'm going to get show you a little drawing here. So we have in Kabbalah something called three lines. The left line is our egoistic nature. This is usually the only thing that we feel. It's the only thing that we've ever felt unless we started becoming a Kabbalist. And I'll tell you in a minute kind of how that works. And we need to, this is our egoistic nature, and we need to start feeling spiritual nature but guess what spiritual nature is also just nature so it's also not miracles we've never felt spiritual nature but even that is not um, anything outside of nature it's just a different nature now in between these two i'm already telling you like three steps ahead Um, If you're just starting to study the wisdom of Kabbalah in between these two, there's something called the middle line, which is built out of our egoistic nature, which we don't want to get rid of. We still need it. We're going to use it just like let's keep this magic uh, analogy going. You know, if there's some alchemist that needs this material and that material in order to create what they really want to create, say the gold, um, they they need the material, right? Our material is actually that egoistic nature. So it's bad if it's all we have. And right now it's all we have. And that's why we get nothing bad, but pretty much nothing but bad from our reality. But later on, this ego, this egoistic nature is going to become precious. It's going to become what the alchemist is in the lab. He's using it. Thank God he has all these different egoistic qualities out of which he's going to make something totally new. Now, I, as an egoist, and I'm I'm using our Kabu retreat as an example, but it really, it can be anything you do in Kabbalah, in our courses. In our courses, also, we have a series of classes that ultimately lead to a virtual environment with other friends where you're working constantly one-on-one, one with 10 others usually, and you're working on implementing the principles. Because if you can implement them in a small group, you can implement them everywhere. The problem is we just don't have in our life any group in which to practice that is not egoistic. We have our family, we have our work, but because I'm already there in that environment, 
I it's all egoistic. I need a group that is unrelated to me in my family, unrelated to me in business, that I have no ties to, then it becomes a scientific environment. And so that's what we try to do at the retreat. It's a weekend of intensive, not crazy, it's just an intensive um, non-stop environment where we think about nothing except our spiritual ad- advancement. It's a warm environment with lesson after lesson, after walk, after campfire, but all of it, meals, music, songs, but all of it is directed. It's for people who want to feel what it's like to leave their environment, their regular day-to-day environment, and enter a laboratory because I can't have a laboratory that's messy. So you enter, meaning with all kinds of thoughts and jobs and things around me from my room that I'm used to. So I need to enter this environment. If I do it virtually, I need to try to enter it just as uh, just as though I went there physically, that I have no distractions. And here begin to start working in this clean environment with special advices from Kabbalists for how we start to implement the principles of Kabbalah. So we start to work, again, whether we're at the retreat or whether we're at our our virtual lessons um, at kabuconnect.com, we, with our egoistic nature that we need, we're all egoists, no problem, that's good. But with that matter as our basis, we start trying to enter a spiritual nature with our egoistic nature And in the combinations between them, there is the alchemy, if you want, of what is called the middle line. And this is something supernatural, meaning this is something above nature by which I feel a brand new, beautiful upper reality. And it turns out that the upper force, uh, it's not that he's hiding the magic from us. He actually wants us to become magicians like him, meaning he operates the whole of reality with all of the forces and we're just living inside of it but guess what we in the plan of creation the plan of reality he wants us to start taking over and wielding the forces of creation to play with them to enjoy these toys that he's created for us which is for us to take over all that he's operating, like a parent, who eventually, they don't want to be the boss of you all the time and control your life. They're trying to give you more and more power, as much as you can handle, so that you'll be an adult like them. This is what actually the upper force wants from us. This is what the whole of reality is for. And this is what um, we'll, we'll do together, friends. So thank you for joining us on our broadcast today. I hope it's been enlightening, and I hope to see you both at the retreat and uh, in our in our courses at kabuconnect.com. Thanks for being with us, and we have a special Zoom session right now for students of Kabbalah, where we will continue this discussion, and I'll answer live all of your questions. So, if you're already a member of Kabu, I'll see you there. If you actually, if you sign up now, I think you can also join. Um, so there should be links in the chat for signing up to Kabu, and you'll get in your email, you'll get the link to our special Zoom session, which will start in just a couple minutes. Bye, everyone.